All right. Can I just say when when it's like you win a hundred bucks to the hitching post, I hope you want to go alone. <laughs> because honestly, it is great. It's amazing. It's amazing. But a hundred bucks is for you, right? <laughs> Be like, <laughs> we're actually just here to help them. That that's. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, thank you so much for filling out the questionnaires. We really appreciate it. Uh, a lot of you guys had a lot of constructive things that were spoken in very positive ways. Uh, sometimes other people, maybe not so much, but you know, we, we really thank you for it because what we want to do is we want to grow. And we don't want to look at things people say and just be irritated about that or feel beaten down. What we want to do is say, okay, you know, these are the things that Element is going on with them. Some things we can't do, some things we can. Like we finally, at the end of last year, brought in a sound engineer. And he listened to some things in the room and went through some stuff. It's going to take uh, a few weeks, months to get there, but we have some ideas of things we can do now. And so we're kind of looking at that, so hopefully that helps. Uh, one of the other things we're doing is, is with the sermon notes, giving you like those readings for the week where maybe you can meet with some other people outside of like a notes night and just kind of walk through some questions weekly with one another. That's something that came out of that as well. Just trying to find a way to connect and help you guys to walk closer with Christ as we move forward, especially into 2023. And also, just to let you know, this is not my look for 2023. All right. <laughs> Everybody wants to keep asking. I I lost my battle with the sun uh, when I was a kid, and so sometimes I have to go and have cancer cream put on my face, and when I do that, I don't want to shave, and I don't want to cut my hair, and I will have it cut by next week. You're welcome for those of you who are so concerned about it. <laughs> All right. Uh, oh, also, yeah, uh, I'm going to keep talking. All right. Um, you know something that's really interesting? We just came out of that whole series on prayer. And, it, I mean, it was a horrible thing that happened on Monday night with DeMar Hamlin. If you guys haven't seen it, there's a, a guy playing football on Monday night. Uh, he, his heart stops. He goes down. And the interesting thing is about that, after coming out of that prayer series, is everybody started to pray for that guy. I mean, you saw people just bow down on a field. I mean, you've got, you've got lawsuits against a coach who wants to pray with, with these kids like after a game, and now you've got entire teams on their knees praying, going, I don't even know if God's there, but we're going to pray. And that's kind of how we started that whole prayer series, was when you come to a place, and sometimes that's where God leads us, where we just cry out. And you saw a lot of people begin to cry out. And I think it's neat. And I think that if you are someone who is a person of prayer, continue to pray for that, that the people who started that, that God would lead and draw those people to himself in the midst of that heinous, horrible situation, but kind of interesting, the good that God can bring out of those things. Welcome to Element. If you are new, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. Mikey stole all my thunder with these sermon notes, uh, but they are on the communion tables throughout the room. Feel free to grab one. If you have a smart device, you can download an app called Uversion. You click on More and then Events in Uversion. We will come up by GPS in your smart device, and you will get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, all that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors at Element. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? This is Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, and it says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask that we would be a 
uh, people who learn what you want us to learn through this book that deals with law and grace and understanding more fully what the gospel is and brings. That we would be those who live out in this world this great freedom that we have received from you and that we would not be distracted by things that are not the gospel, but we would be fully immersed in what you have said and what you continue to do. Amen. Have a seat. Right, so we are starting that new series, the book of Galatians. If you grabbed an element Bible that's on page 631, uh, I have a plan for the next four years. Shocker, if you know me. Uh, but what I wanted to do is in 2023, I want to do the book of Galatians. And then next year, I want to do the book of Ephesians. And then the year after that, I want to do the book of Philippians. And the year after that, I want to do the book of Colossians. Now, that's not that all we'll do the entire year, but I want to start each year with that. And one of the reasons is these books really kind of relate to where we are in our world today. When Paul writes these books, they are called pastoral prison letters because most of these books are written while while Paul is in prison to various churches that he has planted. And there's a lot of issues in these churches that are going to center around what the gospel really is. And I think for us as a people, a lot of our lives and a lot of our issues are going to center around what the gospel truly is, what grace is, and how easily we get led astray. And Galatians is an amazing book. And I know I say that about every book of the Bible, but I really mean it about Galatians. And I really mean it about every other book of the Bible, so I guess that's how it goes. Uh, a couple hundred years ago, there was this movement. It was called the Great Awakening. And historians will tell you that the roots of the Great Awakening actually took place out of the book of Galatians. In the late 1730s, there's a group led by John and Charles Wesley. Eventually, this founds the Methodist Church. But they started a revival on both sides of the Atlantic in Europe and America. And it changed the face of the Western world. Literally, hundreds of thousands of people came to trust Christ with their lives, and new churches were started. And it started because the few people wanted to know God in a deeper way. And so one night, there's this guy, his name is William Holland. And William Holland is reading Martin Luther's preface to the book of Galatians. And it starts to impact him. So he goes and he shares this with Charles Wesley. And this is what uh, Holland writes. My heart was so filled with peace and love that I burst into tears. I almost thought I saw our Savior. My companions, perceiving me so affected, fell on their knees and prayed. So Holland, what he does is he takes this and he starts to go house to house, reading it to all of his friends. You've got to hear this. You ever have a book like that? It's like, oh, this is so great. You've got to read this book. Like, I don't read. They got it on Audible. Well, they didn't have Audible. And so he's just going around reading this to everybody. So he was the Audible. And here's part of Luther's words on this commentary. In this whole epistle, Paul treats of the resurrection of Christ. By his resurrection, Christ won the victory over law, sin, flesh, world, death, devil, hell, and every evil. And this, his victory, he donated to us. These many tyrants and enemies of ours may accuse and frighten us, but they dare not condemn us. For Christ, whom God the Father has raised from the dead, is our righteousness and our victory. And Galatians just explodes to this community and explodes throughout the world again, again. So many people, when they first start the book of Galatians, they skip the intro and they jump to verse 6 because verse 6 is like Paul is ready to fight. These are his fighting words. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. I mean, that's him. Let's go. But it starts in a very positive place. It starts where you have these five verses before you ever get there when Paul is just saying, hey, let's understand and talk about 
about grace first before we go into everything else. I don't know if you write letters, but typically when people write letters, they start with dear so-and-so, not emails, but an actual letter. It's like, what, on paper? I know, it's crazy. But usually write, dear, even if you don't like somebody, you typically start, dear so-and-so. That's how you start a letter. And this is really one of the longest dear so-and-sos that Paul has in any of his letters. And everything he says in it is going to go back and look at the gospel. Um, one writer says it's like Paul is like looking down a hallway in the intro and there's a bunch of doors and he's telling you what's in all those doors but not allowing you to go in them yet. I think it's more like this coming out of Christmas. This is my metaphor. It's like uh, this is the gospel that Paul is going to be speaking about. And what we're going to do over all of these weeks, yes, 26, get over it. Uh, we're going to do this. We're going to look at it like this and from this angle and this angle and this angle and this angle and this angle. All of these things so we understand what the gospel is better. And this is what Paul is doing in this intro. And essentially what Paul is going to say is that if you have run from God, if you have compromised your principles and your life in the last year, in the last hour, whenever it is, if you have compromised the gospel itself, what do we do? We return to grace. That's what we do. We return to grace and understand the gospel. And so the Galatian churches that Paul is writing to, they're just, they're just a mess. They're a mess. And so this is how he starts. Galatians 1.1, Paul, an apostle, not from man nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches in Galatia, grace to you. Isn't that a nice way to start? He doesn't start with the fighting words. He starts, grace to you. When you have run and your life is a total mess, where do you go? You return to grace. You understand the gospel. But it's really even more than that, especially for us today. Because Paul is talking to these people. Sometimes we forget. And we don't want to face that. Paul is saying these people who thought they believed the gospel, they're losing touch with it. And as you begin to lose touch with what the gospel really is, you start to step into slavery. And sometimes that slavery is to our own hearts and our own minds and our own wills of what we want. Paul is saying, in the end, you don't really understand the gospel. And so you need to return to grace. And I want to say that to you as well today. And it's hard to tell professing Christians that, you know what, you think you understand the gospel, but many times we don't understand the gospel. You think you understand how to apply the gospel, but we don't. We think we have it worked out in our hearts and lives, but many times by how we live and how we interact with one another, we show that we don't. And so what I want to do this morning is I'm going to talk about the gospel that Paul speaks about in these first five verses, and then I want to go back at the end and talk to you about why Paul has the right to talk the way that he does. So Galatians 1 verses 3 through 5, Paul says this, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of God, our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So at the very beginning of Galatians, Paul starts with that premise. This is why I'm writing this letter. And the premise is the gospel. The most important thing Paul could speak of and everything he does is the gospel. And you're thinking, Aaron, I know, you talk about this every week. Right, so so does Paul. Throughout Galatians, Paul will do this again and again, that this is what is of first importance. I don't think I've ever seen anybody cram so much dear so-and-so into his first little dear so-and-so than Paul does right here. So what's the gospel? What is the heart of the Christian message? And what is it that caused these apostles to traverse over all of the earth and be willing to die for? Paul says it's what Jesus did to save us, essentially, from us. There's one subject in all that Paul talks about, and Jesus is doing everything. This is what he says. 
says, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. So I'll give you three things in this. Number one, he delivers us. That word deliver is the word for rescue. Jesus is unlike any founder of any religion. Because if you could go to the Buddha or Muhammad or Confucius, not that you could, but if you could, and you would call them savior or try and worship them, they would say, don't do that. You go to Jesus, he says yes. You will see him one day, stand before him, you will worship him. When the disciples do this, Jesus said yes. When we are drowning in our sin, Jesus does not throw you a book on swimming and go hang out on the shore and say, read that, swim to me, and once you get to me, well then I will save you. He jumps into the water to save us. That's what he does. Sin is the water, unless you lost the metaphor there, but he's our deliverer. He's not just our teacher, though he is a teacher. We are helpless. And this is one of the reasons why people have a problem with Christianity, because it has a much more pessimistic view of humanity than any other religion. It really does. Now, when we talk about Jesus, we talk about grace and God's love because he does love us. He gives us worth in our lives because he adopts us in and calls us his children. He brings hope. But we also understand that we are totally lost without his rescue. Every other religion basically says, here's the way to be saved. Follow it. Here's the ladder. Work your way up it. When you get high enough, well, then you will be saved. By your own standards, do the right thing, and you'll be saved. Christianity doesn't do that. It does not do that. Christianity does not overestimate us or our own goodness. And overestimation is a huge problem in our world today, if you don't know. (laughs) Like we overestimate our spirituality all the time. And we are constantly trying to change uh, all the things around us to move in line with our feelings. You want to change the world to go with what we feel, rather than reinterpreting our feelings to match the truth of God. And that's what we are told to do. It has, Christianity has a lower estimation of our ability. But what that does is it raises God's grace and his goodness and his love for all of us. Because God doesn't send a teacher or a counselor or a drill instructor to say, recruit, buck up, do these things. He comes. He jumps into the mess that we created to save us from us. Second thing then, how and why does he deliver us? Well, that's the thing. He jumps in and he dies in our place. Our sins separate us from God. We deserve death. Death is separation. We deserve that, but Jesus dies in our place. What's the process? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. Now, the problem with the word for there, for our sins, you might get the wrong idea. Because the word for, when we hear it, it could just mean there's this general thing in the world, and so Jesus had to die for this general thing called sin. But that word can also mean on behalf of. Now, in Greek, there's two different words here. And the word, this is how we know what Paul's actually saying. Paul is saying, on behalf of. On behalf of. See, this is important because it doesn't mean that Jesus' death was just for some general thing in the world called sin. It means he specifically dies in our place. He is our substitute. And this is why we call it substitutionary atonement. You say, well, you know, it's, and it's not because we, we tried so hard or we're so good that Jesus couldn't help himself. Oh, I've, I've got to save these people. They're so great. No, he does it according to the will of our God and Father. And what that means is it's grace. It is grace. We don't have anything that merits grace on our own. And the only reason God would come after us is because of his grace. That's the gospel. 
And that is what Martin Luther's preface to the book of Galatians talks about. And this is what impacted William Holland and the Wesleys. After reading this commentary, William Holland writes this. At those words where Luther said, What, have we then nothing to do? No, nothing, but only to accept of him who of God is made into us our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. At those words there came such a power over me that I cannot well describe. My great burden fell off in an instant. My heart was so filled with peace and love, I burst into tears. Tim Keller says it like this. He says, the only way we become a Christian is not by pointing to our qualifications, but by admitting we have no qualifications, which is the only qualification. I like that. I like that. If we run around thinking we're so qualified, look how good I am, look at all the things that I know, it just proves that we're not qualified. It is why we go back to God's grace and love for us. He rescues us through his substitution. Why does he do it? Strictly for the grace of God. Which brings us to the question of why. Third, why does Jesus do it? Why does he save us? Why does he rescue us? This one's really easy. I'm just going to give it to you because we needed it. That's why. We needed to be rescued. And he says, from the present evil age. Now, that word for deliver or pluck out or save, it actually means this idea of of plucking things out. Like, imagine you have a uh, bag of M&Ms, and all you want is the green ones or the blue ones. I don't know what colors are in them anymore, but imagine you just want the green ones, and you start plucking those out. There are some famous people who have writers, and if they go somewhere and they say, you have to put blue M&Ms in my dressing room, they have to go through and pluck those out and put them in. Well, this idea of pluck out, it means those are the ones that you want. And what it is telling us is that God's saves us. He plucks us out because he wanted us. We are wanted. We are loved. When Paul writes this word, the present evil age, I think he uses the word present there because too many Christians today think this is for the future. One day out there. No, it's for today. This is why we call the gospel a present reality. When I first became a youth minister, I would take kids to camps or seminars or conferences, and there's this big thing that went around. And these speakers would get up and they would say, do you have your fire insurance? And what they mean is that hell is hot, forever is a long time, and you say this prayer, and when you die, you go to heaven, you got your fire insurance. Now, I didn't think it was that funny. I think they probably thought it was funny, but hell's not funny. Not that I've been there. I mean, I, I don't know. But, but I always hated that. I hated that because that puts the gospel into some far-off future date, and it's not about today. Like people say, if you die tonight, do you know where you're going to go? If you die tonight, do you know what will happen? That's a terrible question because most of you are not going to die tonight. And if you do, I'd be surprised. And you're not going to care anyway. But, you know, the, the question is, if you don't die tonight, which is much more likely, do you know what you're living for tomorrow? Do we know what's tomorrow? The gospel is a present reality because the present day that we live in is a present evil age. And Paul says when Jesus died, he died to rescue us from the present evil age. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 1, we'll look at this next year more in depth, but it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. That's present. Verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. That is present present reality. And what does that mean? Well, what that means is you're justified before God today as much as you will be the day that you die and a hundred billion years from now. When the earth is dust and the universe is our playground and all the evils and wrongs are, are made right and there's no more pain, psychological or physical, that same power and grace that's evident a hundred billion years from now is also evident today in our current redemption. 
the center of gravity, so to speak, for a follower of Christ is his righteousness and his rescue of us. And all the things that we look forward to one day are beginning to happen now in our present. And this is how we understand salvation and justification by faith. Justification by faith means that God loves you now as much as he will in a trillion years. The verdict he gives you now is the same one he will give you then, which is what? Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You do not have to live your life in suspense of the verdict of what God is going to say. We live in our justified reality in Christ. And it's awesome. And that's the gospel message. Hold on to that. Okay? Now I'm going to move over and talk about Paul a little bit. A little bit. Why does Paul speak this way? Why does Paul have the right to say this when every Jew wanted to, to really kill Paul? Why does he have the right to talk this way? Well, Galatians 1.1. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. So first off, Paul gives his name. Paul. Was Paul always Paul? No. Paul starts off as Saul, named after one of Israel's great kings. And so Paul Saul is raised in a very strict Jewish home. He, is, uh, he learns under one of the greatest rabbis of the day, a guy named Gamaliel. He is uh, also taught in Greek literature and philosophy. And the first time you meet the apostle Paul Saul, he is overseeing the execution of the first Christian martyr in the book of Acts, a guy named St- Stephen. Paul is so opposed to the gospel that he's going around and pulling Christians out of homes and trying to have them executed or beaten or tossed into jail because they're polluting the teachings of Judaism. One day, Saul Paul, he's on his way to a place called Damascus. Jesus shows up, knocks him on his rear end and says, Paul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I'm not persecuting you. I'm going after those Christians who are polluting you. No, you're persecuting me. And Saul's life changes. After he sees Jesus, he repents. He becomes a Christian. And he eventually becomes a pastor who trains other pastors to speak about the gospel. Now, at first, this is a big concern, right? Because the guy who was just killing Christians now comes to your church and says, Hey, I want to come to your church and hang out and talk about Jesus. It's like, this is the Trojan horse, right? We're going to let you in. You're going to kill us all. That's what's going to happen here. They're really worried. Paul will most likely be in places throughout his life explaining the gospel to families that maybe he had a hand in killing relatives of. And he starts to talk to them about God's love and God's grace, how God changes people, how God jumps into the messes that we create and rescues and saves us. Saul Paul is intimately acquainted with grace. How do we know? You look at his life. It was totally messed up. Jesus jumped in and rescued and saved him. He is intimately acquainted with grace. So he changes his name, Saul to Paul, and he goes to reach Gentiles. He would normally start in synagogues with Jews to recruit them to help him to go and reach these Gentiles. So Paul's a changed man. So he says, Paul, an apostle. Okay, Paul, an apostle. An apostle is spoken of in Scripture as a follower of Jesus who is then sent out. Uh, the word apostle actually means to be sent. But he says, not from man, nor th- not from men, nor through man. And so there's really two types of apostles in the Bible. There is a little a apostle and a big a apostle. Uh, Barnabas in the New Testament is what we call a little a apostle. Second uh, Corinthians eight twenty three talks about the apostles of the church. Romans chapter sixteen talks about the apostles who are sent out. And it could be a little bit like me. I come, I'm sharing a message to you out of the scriptures. Hopefully it's not just my words, right? Hopefully it's God wanting to say some things through me. But in that, I could say the message I give you, I am sent. But I can never say, as Paul says, not from men nor through man. Paul says, I wasn't sent just by human beings. I was sent by God. 
Well, how do we know? First off, he saw the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, Paul never did anything that he did for power or glory or fame. If you look around today, there are some people who run around claiming to be capital A apostles. And many times, they do what they do for power and glory and fame. I have met a couple, and you do not question them, or they get very mad at you. And as a matter of fact, Paul himself was beaten and abused because of the message of the gospel. Aaron reads theology books for fun. Aaron is ordained and trained and accredited. He's sent by human beings, but it is not the same sending that Paul has. Paul will tell us he saw the risen Lord. Jesus reveals to him the fullness of the gospel, the good news that is preached. And this will be contained in the letter to Galatians. And that means Paul is a capital A apostle. He is one of the few that interacted with the bodily resurrected Jesus. And Jesus says, Paul, you're my apostle. You're going to teach the world and the church my message. And I'm going to tell you what it is. And so Paul is reminding these new Christians of a problem with their discernment, what the gospel message is, and why he gets to preach it. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Now, to the churches of Galatia means this letter is not to one church. It's to a group of churches in the northern part of Greece in the day. This is now modern-day Turkey, but this is where Paul planted these churches. And he's writing them about an issue of doctrine and how the message of the gospel that we just talked about is being distorted by all these other people. There's a group of teachers who have moved into the area of Galatia, and they're teaching things not in line with the gospel, not in line with what Paul has said, and the churches are starting to listen to these people. And so Paul is not addressing personal problems. You want to read Paul address personal problems? Read 1st and 2nd Corinthians. That's all that it really is. Here, he is addressing false doctrine. That's what he's talking about. And the letter is so emphatic when Paul starts this, it says, Paul, apostle, not. Not that Paul's not an apostle, but he starts with, this is me, and goes directly to a negative, not them. He is setting himself up to take exactly on what these false teachers are saying and teaching. In our world, people don't like that, right? In our world, it's like, let's not argue with anybody. Uh, everybody live in that live, uh, whatever you want. You can, you can believe that. Everyone has the right to believe whatever they want. Well, that's not good. It is not good. Uh, let me make an extreme example here. And I'm really sorry it's been overused. And you're going to be like, oh, really? Okay, Nazis. Okay, just get over it, all right? Nazis. Why did the Nazis kill millions of Jews and Eastern European people? And many people will say, oh, that's because they were evil. But the Nazis didn't start off going, hey, y'all, you want to do something evil? And everyone's like, yeah, let's do something evil. No, the Nazis did the evil thing they did because they believed some human racial groups were subhuman and not worthy of protection. It came out of their belief. It came out of their doctrine. It came out of their theology. If you empirically look at science and you ask, is everybody equal? The answer is going to be no. No, we're not. And if you break us down, we're worth about 15 bucks in chemicals. You, you look at evolutionary theory, and it is survival of the fittest. The weak need to die to make way for the strong. But if you come along and you say, but everybody has dignity, value, and worth, no matter where they're from, no matter their economic status, no matter where they're born. If you think what the Nazis did was evil and, and their view of human nature was wrong, well, that's not an empirical conclusion. That's a belief. That's a belief. And whether modern people want to admit it or not, it's a religious belief. And if you look at historians, Christian and non, they will tell you that that belief that everybody has dignity and worth comes only out of a Christian worldview. That's what they will tell you. And if we want to stop genocide around the world, you will combat false doctrine because genocide is always based on a set of doctrines. Whether they call it that or not, it's based on a set of beliefs. 
And hopefully you understand that. Let me take a step back from genocide, okay? Take a deep breath, okay? Let's talk about a job interview. Imagine two people go to a job interview and they both get rejected at that job interview. One could go home angry, the other could go home depressed. Same interview, same experience, two different reactions. Why? Because they process what happened differently based upon what they believe. One could be mad and think, well, those people are dumb. I'm great. They're going to be really sad for passing me up. Someone else could be really depressed and they think, well, I'm no good. I'm a failure. I didn't deserve the job. What causes those emotions is not the circumstances, it's our beliefs about those circumstances. Think about suicide. A big indicator of those who commit suicide is their belief about worth and their reason to live. They end up becoming about issues of faith and belief. And everything we do in our life is going to come down to what we believe is true, what we hold as being true. And this is what Paul is talking about to these Galatians. This is what the gospel is. You're being moved over here to think this is the truth. That's not true. It's going to affect the way that you actually live. When someone comes along and gives you false truth and you believe it, it's going to warp the way that we begin to live. And one of the things we see in this passage is Paul is going against false doctrine because of how it's affecting these churches. Uh, Paul will deal with what we call epistemology. It's a big word, and what it really just kind of means is the methods of how we know what we know or what we hold to be true, like how you know it. And if you don't, if you've never seen this, some people who are Christians, when they become Christians at the beginning, they listen to anybody. It's like, I'm a Christian, you are? Oh, okay. And they listen to whatever somebody has to say. And again, sometimes it's not good. It's like you have little kids, and you tell them, don't take candy from bad men, bad men or strangers, right? And in your mind, you know, kids have got this picture of what a bad man looks like. A bad man's going to walk up and say, Hey, kid, I'm a bad man, so they're going to know what it looks like. But then I also think it's really funny because a lot of you guys take your kids to these things called trunk or treats. And there's a stranger with their trunk open handing candy to your kid. Don't take candy from strangers unless they got their trunk open. Okay, it doesn't make sense. But anyway, <laughs> but we think we know what it looks like. A lot of Christians are the same way. They think you're going to uh, spot false doctrine and the devil is going to come up with a pitchfork and smell like brimstone. You'll be like, ah! that's evil. That's the devil. That's not how it works. Many people and churches today have no idea what false doctrine looks like. And there's a lot of time people are preaching false doctrine as real doctrine, and it's not a new problem. It goes all the way back to Paul. And this is why Paul, in his Dear So-and-So, he talks about the gospel, why he can say what he says, why he sees what he sees. And this is why over and over throughout the book, Paul will come back to the gospel. And this is why when I held up that ornament, this is why we're going to look at it from all these different directions so we know what the gospel looks like from all these different directions. We must view everything in our lives through the lens of what Jesus did by dying in a place and rising from the grave. See, when false teaching comes, if we know what the gospel is, it will stand out, and we'll be able to recognize it right away. And next week, I'm going to give you eight different false gospels that are in the world today, not just to be negative, but I want to be positive today. The gospel, yay, next week, false doctrine. So then we'll talk about that. But um, we must let the revelation of Jesus himself about what the gospel is and means be our guide. And really, in the end, that's what the book of Galatians is about. We come to this place where we understand the rescue that we have received in Christ himself. How he has brought us to himself. How he has plucked us out. And when we are saved, he wanted us. And that changes us from people who are like, I am so horrible, I'm so terrible. To somebody who could say, I am a child of God. Because God has rescued me. Because he wanted me. He has drawn me to himself in his own goodness, in his own grace. This 
is the beauty of what we understand as the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our God loves us, wants us, draws us to himself. And today, when we invite you to come and take communion, communion is the reminder of what Christ did to rescue us, to bring us to himself. This is why we break the cracker. It's a reminder of, the, of his body that was broken for us, and you dip it in the wine of the grape juice as a reminder of his blood that was shed for you and me. We don't, we don't pay for our sins on our own. We don't pay for what separated us from God on our own. Jesus does that in our place for us. He is our great redeemer. He is our rescuer. The gospel message is what Jesus did to save us. And this is what we recognize in communion when we do it in remembrance of him. The, I mean, communion really is. This is a remembrance of the gospel. And as we understand what that gospel is, that will take us and move us to a place in our lives where we recognize false things that want to move us away from who God calls us to be. The real gospel results in us living in love for one another. It results in a humbleness and a humility in our lives because we realize I didn't have anything in me that could save me, but God rescues me while I'm drowning in the water going, I can't unread this book on swimming. He jumps in and he pulls me to his shore to bring me to himself. And that is grace. And that's what we get to live in. And if you need prayer this morning, maybe you are in a spot where you feel like you've been trying to do all these things to make God love you and bring you to him and you feel you're like you're really religious. Well, we'd love to pray with you about that and help you to understand what grace is better. Because God's great love given to us teaches us to rest in what God has done and to trust his great salvation, which has been given to us. And if you need prayer, it will be right across the way in the lounge. You can go during the music. You can go after service and talk to them. Ask them if you have questions about the message, feel free to ask about that. If they don't have the answer, they'll come and grab me. And I'll probably say, come back and find out because we're going to talk about all this. (laughs) But we want to be able to be a people who pray with one another and understand the great grace that we have received. Uh, We are a people who give. uh, There are offering boxes next to every door at Element. We don't pass a plate. Giving is a response to what God has already done in giving to us. We become a generous people. We want to respond generously because our God is also generous. That helps Element to also be a generous church as well. And I'd encourage you to grab sermon notes, take those questions, meet with friends, family, kids, gospel communities, and kind of talk about these things to go back to an understanding of what the gospel is. Because I know when I say we're going to talk about the gospel, you're like, oh, I've heard this a million times. Great. What is it? Like, I don't know. Right? This is why we'll talk about it because we want it so deep inside of us that we know we can't. It's not just about saying the words of what the gospel is. It's about living it in a way that it becomes reality. So we live every moment of our lives with Jesus as center. Let's pray. Part of this morning, we ask that you would take and move us to be a people who understand more fully what the gospel is. That though we don't see everything, you have seen everything that has happened and will happen. And you are going to take and move all of those things to your ultimate glory and our ultimate good. And so in the midst of our lives and the things that we don't understand, I ask that the gospel in us would become central and paramount, that we'd understand the great salvation that we have received, how you have brought us to yourself, and that we would stand in humbleness because of the great love with which you have loved us. 
And I ask in that understanding what the gospel is, we would then reach out into the world around us that we would not be self-centered or myopic, but we would be a people who look out past ourselves and live in such a way that you are glorified in this world. That even in the places where we feel like everything is falling down around us, we would understand that you are still the one who is glorified in whatever takes place. Teach us to be a people who live and honor you in all things with our hearts constantly drawn back to the great salvation we receive because of your grace and love given to us. Amen. As we drop the curtains, just take a couple moments and in your own mind, answer this question. What's the gospel? Not with like everybody else looking at you like, what's the answer? There's not going to be a test on this. Maybe after 26 weeks. Uh, But there's not going to be a test on that. But what's the gospel? And I... And see what you come up. Because if it's different than what we've talked about this morning, your idea of the gospel needs to reframe the narrative of what Christ himself has actually said. The good news is that Christ has come, died in our place for our sin, given us his righteousness in the place of our sin, and restores to relationship with God. The gospel is the good news of what Jesus did. So ask yourself, what have you defined the gospel as? And then allow God to reframe that and then ask him, God, starting this week, teach me how to live with the understanding of the gospel truth as the center of what I do.